You're listening to the Business and Barbecue Podcast, hosted by Tim Harridge. Tim Harridge is an active entrepreneur who built and sold six companies by the age of 40 and enjoys sharing the ups and downs of business and entrepreneur life. As for the barbecue, that's just something he has a passion for and likes to share as well. Here's your host, Tim Harridge. All right, all right. What's cooking, everybody? Tim Harridge here, back with another episode of the Business and Barbecue Podcast. Today, we'll be talking with my good friend, Robert Greenberg. Robert is the Chief Marketing Officer of Power. Patch of Land. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding and real estate investment finance company headquartered in California. Today, we're not only talking with Robert about real estate, financing, or lending. Today, we're actually talking with Robert about marketing philosophy. We're talking about lead generation. We're talking about lead conversion. And we're talking about client fulfillment. We're going to talk a lot about the customer journey and what you can do this week to increase the marketing effectiveness of your business. Stick around. It's going to be a great episode. First, a quick word from Audible. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash TH and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash TH to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, audio original shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Books in my library include Think and Grow Rich, Richest Man in Babylon, and Rich Dad Poor Dad. Go to audibletrial.com slash TH today, get started with your free trial and claim your one free audiobook. All right, all right, everybody. Tim Harridge back here with my good buddy, Robert Greenberg. Ran a Facebook poll the other day in the Business and Barbecue Facebook group. If you're not in that, check it out. The number one thing people said they wanted to talk about was marketing. And after a really short thought process, I decided that I would bring on a person that was once referred to me as a marketing bad A and talk marketing. And so I have my friend, Robert Greenberg, with me. I'll let Robert introduce himself and he'll talk a little bit about how he's the chief marketing officer at a real estate investing lending company, but he'll also tell you a little bit about how a referral drug him out of one industry and into another industry. And I think today I want to talk as much as possible about kind of the commonalities between businesses and your focus on the customer and all the things you've always done that impressed me. So Robert, say hello to everyone, introduce yourself, just tell them a little bit about yourself. Thanks. Yeah. So yeah, I've been in the marketing business for essentially what's now three decades, maybe even a little more than that, have been in both corporate environments. I've also been a part of four different startups. As you referenced to minute ago, I came out of that. I was in the agency business for a while and a mutual friend of ours introduced us right as you were getting started with B2R and you drug me into that experience, uh, which was a really great, interesting opportunity. And it gave me my first foray really into mortgage lending. I'd never been in that space before. Uh, I had been involved with Homevestors back in 2008. So I had some experience doing lead gen with a a buddy of mine. Uh, We had an agency where we were doing most of their lead gen work across the country. And so I was was familiar with flipping and and the business of buying and selling houses, but I was not that familiar with the the mortgage business. And of course, as we were at B2R, we kind of unleashed a a whole new style of financing to rental portfolio owners. And I think one of the most interesting parts of that experiment for a lot of people was how do you generate demand? And is there really enough demand? Can we find these people? And I think we were pretty successful at proving that we could find them. So let's talk about, uh, I think it was Michael 
Michael Gerber in the book E-Myth, he talked about all businesses can be broken down into lead generation, lead conversion, and client fulfillment. So talk about just general lead generation philosophies. I mean, there's probably people out there that I had a friend that wanted to start an online business. We've got obviously real estate investors that listen to us. People want to start a barbecue restaurant and actually have people show up and eat. Yeah. So just spend a couple minutes talking about your ideas and thoughts on, especially with technology these days, how people can go about finding the customers that they would like to expose to their business. Yeah. Well, in the early days of this, it was called database marketing. And Mike kind of got involved in a really deep way back just after 9-11, right? Right after the turn of the millennium, when I had the opportunity to work with the Harris Entertainment Group, which was, for me, a, a group of 26 properties. And their main goal was to bring people to the casinos. And this is not trying to get people to get on a plane and go to Vegas, although Vegas was one of the properties I was responsible for. I had a team of about 30 people at the at a marketing agency here in Dallas that was responsible for all the advertising promotion for 26 different casino properties. Wow. And believe it or not, the one that we probably spent the least amount of time and energy with was the Vegas property. It was really the 25 other properties that are a three-hour drive from most everybody in America somewhere. And so it was a really twofold. The first is to get people into your database, right? right. And try to find the right kinds of people, people that might be interested in electing to become a part of your database. So let's just talk. Yeah. So in a casino world, you're looking for whales only, right? Big old, rich, <laughs> super rich people that are going to fly on the jet and put post it all over Instagram, right? Yeah. No, not at all. But that was uh, that's typically what people thought. And what was interesting about Harris at the time, they were migrating or kind of transitioning from business that was a VIP casino host kind of thing where people knew who the whales were. They'd put them on an airplane. They'd put them on a private plane if they had to. They'd meet them with a limo at the airport. They'd give them a free room at the hotel. And they'd do whatever they could to make a great weekend or even a week for some people or, frankly, some people even longer. But really what uh, Harris was one of the very first to do is they introduced this thing, this program called Total Rewards, which was a loyalty program very similar to the types of programs you see at your grocery store or really at the time, I think, American. American Airlines was probably one of the most famous and well-known, but they had grown their database to 24 million people back at the turn of the millennium. And that was, in those days, I mean, remember, email marketing had just started in really in any real sort of way. I think Constant Contact opened in like 99 or 2000 or something, right? Exactly. I mean, in 95, I think, you know, is when I started using email in a work environment. I kind of, I'm trying, I don't remember. And was that your personal AOL account or with a little little spinny disk? I totally remember. Remember the very first day the IT guy installed something and we were communicating with each other in the office. The guy in the office texted me. I didn't have to get up and walk around. I could just right. send him an email. That was, and I'm telling you, that was that was in the 90s. This is it, now. It seems like it was like the dark ages, right? Yeah. So interesting. You said Harris introduced uh, total rewards. Was that their lead capture program? Or? Yeah, that was the the goal of that program. And so ultimately, that was the goal. There was to replace the the idea idea of trying to speculate at who they should give rewards to, who should get a free airline ticket, who should get a free room. And they converted it to what is 
essentially based on your gambling behavior, your gaming behavior, as we used to call it back in the day. And so, and really it was largely based on 80% of the tracked play is in the machines, the slot machines, not the not the table games. Although they do, there is a... It's a little more difficult, but that's why... I know, I'm always at the tables. I'm like, hey, can you swipe this for me? Right. I'm about to give you another $100. I need credit for it. Yeah, that's a, it's a little... That's a- more subjective, but you know, all the machines now you pop a card in and it knows exactly how many dollars you've put in, how long you played, what you, how much you put at risk, how much came back to you. And they converted that through you algorithms and figuring out how to create points. And then we were able to use that to do email marketing and other forms of marketing to all hit monthly goals. I mean, I remember being in meetings where the executive team was talking about being slightly behind goal for the month or even the quarter because of a specific couple who didn't make it to their property. (laughs) (laughs) You can believe that kind of stuff. Well, I do. And and, and so it's interesting. So I get a lot of mail and email from casinos and most of them I've never spent the night at, right? And it's funny, I don't think I've ever spent the night at the same casino more than once because I end up, you go into a casino and you almost have to get one of those stupid cards and then they send you the free night if they pay for a night one day. And so I guess to me, I was thinking that it was a lead conversion strategy, but I guess it's a lead generation. I mean, yeah, absolutely. probably more lead generation than conversion. Yeah, and as you walk in the front, or, you know, typically the offer is too good not to give them your email address. You know, right. you're going to get $20 worth of free gameplay. You're going to get something, right? And then, and then as long as you're there, a lot of times people go specifically for promotion types of days. There might be certain prizes that are even a car or something that you might just randomly win because you actually decided to sign up. But the real goal of that program is they can track your play. They can understand how much, what kind of gambler you are. They can segment you and then ultimately decide when they want to try to get you back because a lot of players they it's a regular thing it's an interesting it's really one of the most interesting businesses i've ever been a part of because in terms of customer satisfaction everybody goes to the casino to win but very few people actually win because it's not a business model that lets everybody win right the only airport i've ever been in that was more depressing than the las vegas airport was the airport in des moines iowa when alex and i flew up there for his official visit in january it was five degrees and snow. That that sounds very familiar to my only trip to Des Moines. <laughs> very, very yeah, I mean, We walked in and Alex looks at me and he goes, what is wrong with these people? I said, would you be happy if this has been your week? He goes, no. I said, I guess this college isn't going to work. So let's, I, I want to use a hypothetical situation. So yesterday I had uh, two young men here at my house doing bobcat work, dirt work. Yep. They cold called me on Thursday of last week. And several rare things happened. I answered the phone. And the second thing was, I actually heard the guy out when he was trying to sell something. And I don't know if it's he said Bobcat, or I knew I needed to have some Bobcat work. But I said, well, how did you hear about me? He goes, well, I Googled real estate investors in Dallas because I had an, a job canceled this week and I, and we just need to find some work. So I'll tell you what, send me an email. I'm driving right now. I don't, I'm not you know going to write. I'd like your company name and all that. Make sure it wasn't someone that was trying to come out here and get $250 down and never see him again. And he came out the next day, gave me a quote, and... He made 1200 bucks yesterday. And I was thinking about it last night. Like, number one, how great that is as an entrepreneur. But number two, like, he used lead generation, lead conversion, client fulfillment. Like, in the way he found the lead, right, was to think about who do I know, what type of person could maybe need some bobcat work, right? He didn't look up 
podcast host, right? He looked up real estate investors and then he took the time to call and then he followed up with an email and then he came out and made an offer and then he made sure I was happy before he left. I mean, the dude worked till eight o'clock last night. And so like, I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, I mean, like, I just, I feel like too many people sit at home and wait for their phone to ring and entrepreneurism and, or sit in your office in California and wait for the phone to ring and they don't prospect enough. They don't go out and build lead lists. So, I mean, if you were talking to a young salesperson, a young entrepreneur, give some advice on identifying your target customer. If you're not Harris, right? Right. And I think one of the most overlooked opportunities that is particularly small businesses, but really any business is what do the people that you already do business with know about you or what do they have in common that allows you to help identify who you should be looking for. Like this particular guy that you mentioned, he knew he was looking for real estate investors probably because he's done business. That's probably the, the majority of his business. So it, it, his clue was, I want to look for real estate investors. And if you're looking for real estate investors in Dallas, Texas, it's not surprising that Tim Harris showed up somewhere, right? <laughs> what is surprising is that you act, that he said something to engage you in taking the call, hearing him out, and then actually getting some work. He said he had made over 60 calls before he got a hold of me. Yeah, that's pretty good. And that's, you know, that's some perseverance. He goes, they say one out of a hundred. I said, well, at least you didn't have to get all the way to a hundred. Yeah, exactly. And well, and the thing too, that I work on a lot and, and it really, it's, it, there is scale to this. So you can do this again, when you start talking about databases of 24 million or 40 or 50 million, so that's a lot of big, big databases. And, and there's Definitely a lot of businesses out there and certainly, you know, more coming all the time that are doing large scale lead generation. But even for small businesses, the key is to think about what some people call the customer journey. What's the stages? What does a customer go through from the time they first hear about you to the time they close a deal with you? Or maybe even thinking about it in terms of once they've beyond closed a deal with you, what, how, you know, do you, are you actually aware of what your customer satisfaction would be? Do they want to come back to you. What's your repeat? Some businesses are like like the one I'm in. Repeat business is probably, is not probably, it's certainly more important than the first transaction. Most real estate investors do this habitually. They will you know, borrow money sometimes three, four, five times a month for right. different transactions. So we want to do all that business. You know, it's, it's not about the first transaction. It's about every transaction that comes later. Well, and that customer journey is interesting you said because as he was finishing up yesterday and because I told him, I said, look, I don't know you. You don't have a company website. I get it. You've been in business a long time, but I'm not giving you any money till I'm happy with the work. And he said, okay, because they, they needed the money. Not a good practice. I mean, what would have he normally wanted? Maybe 50% up front? Well, he should have at least got a mechanics lien contract signed on a homestead property and he should have gotten a little bit of cash up front just to make sure I wasn't some fellow that was like, I have him work all day. I said, get your bobcat off my property, right? But I was happy and I, I said, hey, do you have a Facebook page or, or like, are you on Google? Well, no. I wanted to give him a review. I was limited to, I shot a video of them working and I posted it on Facebook to put the guy's name and phone number. Like, cause I was happy. My customer journey with him was really good and I appreciated what he had done. Absolutely. I mean, this is another one of those things that you're just segueing into. Again, for a small business, it's not that hard to have a Twitter account or a Facebook account. It's, you know, it doesn't take a lot to learn how to do it, how to post it. And it's really, really important. And like one of the most important things 
things that I've run across, I'd say over the last 20 years, is poor reviews, businesses that have poor reviews. That's just part of life now, right? If you're going to be in business and you're, no matter how hard you try, there's going to be somebody that's going to want to write a poor review. Right. No matter what. <laughs> well, my dad's one of those that he gives everyone a three star. If you do good, you get a four star. And a five star is impossible. There's always room for improvement. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, you got to stop doing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that. I think that the point I was making about the social media piece or, or the reviews in particular is the only way to compete or to, to take care of a bad review is to have 10 really good reviews, right? Most people, they, and I think a lot of people today, if they don't see some bad reviews, they think you're curating the reviews or there's something funny going on. So it really, I think in some respects, helps to see a bad review and then it offsets by 10 to 1 or 20 to 1 with really positive reviews. But to be clear, if you're listening to this podcast, please do not go give me a bad review and think you're helping me, right? I mean, I, I need, <laughs> I don't, you can go give the podcast a review, but I prefer you not help me that way. But it was interesting last week, my oldest son, one of his friends at high school, shows him his cell phone and says, look, your dad has a bad review. Well, they had Googled. I don't know why this kid's sitting there Googling Tim Harridge, but he did. Just my name, not my company, nothing. And Google had recently created a Google Place page for me based off of my website. It was something I'd never seen before. The Tim Harridge yeah. website. Tim Harridge. Which is a fairly new website to begin with. Well, it's been there, but it's never really been marketed. But like, just the review was under the name Tim Harridge. And there was one review, someone that had gotten a letter from my company right after their parents had passed away and decided to call me a blood-sucking soul monster, right? I mean, my oldest son, like, he gets on there and he gives me a five-star and he texts it to me and he is angry. Like, he wanted to kill someone. I was like, dude, it's fine. I mean, it just happens. But you got to check these things because you it may be out there and you may not know it. Like, I mean, I didn't know it last week. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. But it, and again, the key is to have enough good reviews to offset that. And if you don't create an environment for people, especially people that you've done work for that were happy with your work to make it easy for them to go. I mean, you were willing and interested in giving him a review and you found a way of doing it that not even giving him. I think I already got him a couple of jobs. Some of my home builder friends were like, oh man, thanks. You know, we always, we're always looking for that kind of person. And back to the lead gen. I mean, it could be like, this is, you may have need in the future, but let's say you're building a pool, for instance. How many people buy a pool? This is maybe one of those couple pools in a lifetime, if that. But as a customer, what you can do is be a good source of referrals. I mean, again, there's this concept of birds of a feather flock together. The likelihood of somebody that you know and might be able to refer to being in the market for the same thing that you've just bought is pretty high. It's just that's the way things happen. And if there's so many cheap things you can do to nurture those customers, whether you have, like you said, five or five million, and Pool Stop is a company that's about to build me a new pool. It's 60 grand. I paid them 50, 60 grand the first time 10 years ago. And they've always sent me Christmas cards. I'm on their email list. And even here, I was going to get three bids and I did. But the owner of the company called and said, we want to do your pool. You've been a good referral source for us. What will it take to get the business? And it's one of those, like, it's not because I'm popular or whatever. It's just, I had a good experience with them and I've used them to clean my pool. And when I've met people in town that were looking for a referral, I give them Tim's number. Tim is the pool bidding guy not me. And so it's been interesting. I want to shift gears. One of the things that impressed me the most about you as a marketer was, because I don't ever like to say you worked for me. I just happened to be like the corporate head over the department that you ran. (laughs) The only thing I ever really said to you was approved. But 
one of the things that impressed me the most is you, above most of the executives in the business, really cared a lot about the customer. Yeah. And I think it's something that sets you apart and also sets apart great coming I mean, patch of land. You guys are doing what, 30 million a month or something now yeah. of loans. I mean, and when you got there, am, am I allowed? You're definitely less than 10 million a month. Yeah. And you're got a lot of repeat customers. And so talk about, because I mean, starting with like the first customer your business ever has to the 7 millionth, right? You got to care. And what are some strategies people yeah. can do to keep them happy and warm? Yeah. And I, I think that's, I'm, I'm glad you remember that. And I'm glad you brought that up. And really, I credit you for a lot. I mean, one of the pieces to this was really beginning to understand the real estate investor and the mindset and who this customer is and what do they care about and how do they make decisions. And as interesting as B2R was as a finance company, you were really the only guy in the entire business. When I started, I think I was like the 19th or 20th employee. And we had, we had done a six month. <laughs> I just remember you said yes to the offer. And I said, good, get on a plane tomorrow. I need help. <laughs> but there, there was very few people that knew anything about our customer in the, it, that were working in the business, right? There was, there was a bunch of good. They knew all about the business of loan. And finance and mortgages and securitizations. And, you know, there's a lot of intelligence in around that business. But what does the customer care about? What's important to the customer? I had the great, I mean, I still do consider it was a great opportunity and to just learn from you. I mean, you taught me a ton. I learned more in the first 12 to 24 months of that experience than I had learned in the previous 15 years of my professional career doing what I've been doing for two or three decades prior to that. I mean, it was really... An it was birth by fire, though. It was <laughs> It was a ton of fun. So while you're talking about that, I want to interrupt because I had this conversation at lunch. You were talking talking about on your web submittal, people can now pick what time to be called or what time to call that you give, give them some talk about that, about understanding your customer, giving the customer options, that kind of stuff. Yep. That's great. I mean, yeah. So, well, let's go back to even, you know, we were talking about the whales and the gambling yeah. industry and stuff. The important thing of understanding how to go about prospecting for who you're looking for is to understand who's that customer. What, where are they? You made reference to a minute ago talking to somebody or I can't remember if it was an email or a phone call, somebody who had lost a parent, right? And they were, you were going to try to buy a house, right? Well, that is one of the fundamental strategies. That was on Saturday. I was telling you about the house that I uh, bought on Saturday that they found my website somehow. My tracking's a little messed up, but they filled out the form, got a text. We called immediately. We looked at the house an hour later and we bought it on the site. Right. Right. That's what we were talking about. Right. Oh, and the same person that gave me the bad review was in that situation. That's because a lot of people who are in that situation are looking to sell a house as is and get out of it as quickly as they can. That's understanding that market, right? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of other instances of people who are willing to sell an investor a house or a wholesaler, for instance. But, but there's a reason a lot of people spend a lot of time on foreclosures and probate. And because the hit rate, and this is, I think, what you were getting at too earlier, is understanding the metrics, right? So we talked about this often as the customer journey. Another word is the funnel, right? So if you start at the very high level and you have a total of a hundred prospects that say, I'm, I, they fill out a web form or they come to you for whatever reason. They walk in your store. They stop at your parking lot in the barbecue place. You buy a list. Start at a hundred and you figure out, okay, how, what's the very next step? What do I need to have happen next? And in the process of buying somebody's home, probably the next thing to do is to not to show up at their house, but to schedule a 
buy call, right? So the likelihood of having a buy call meeting is not a hundred percent of the buy call schedule because you will often either try to make a call and nobody's home or maybe not often. Hopefully that doesn't happen often or you get a hold of somebody and they say, yes, I would like to have you come out, but you never actually get it. And then they end up doing a deal with somebody. And so by the time you get it scheduled, it never happened, right? So that's like, so you get, again, define all of the steps, right? So then the next step is you have an actual buy call, right? And at that point, maybe then you start kind of figuring out if you're really good at it, Maybe 50% of your buy calls you can close. I think industry-wide, I bet you that's way high. I bet you, and, and Homevestors did a really great job of this. They really knew because they had an organization of, you know, they're buying six, 7,000 houses a year. They have probably a lot more than that now. It might be 10,000 a year now. You know, I don't even know. I think the number that most of us use is about one out of eight. If you're on a hot tear, you may get one out of three or four, maybe five. If you're screening your calls a lot, then, you, you know, your numbers can go up, but you're probably leaving some. Some, some stuff out. Yeah. So maybe 20, 30% is a, is, is a reasonable hit rate, yeah. right? So, and then again, the, the beauty of all this is you can decide, all right, how many houses do I need to buy this month in order to make my number, right? What am I trying to accomplish? How much money? You know, what's my average profit per transaction? And so if I need to do four houses in a month, right? Or whatever my number might be, and I know that I'm going to hit on 20% of my buy calls, it's pretty simple math. How many buy calls I need to do? I suck at math. What is that? If you're trying to do four, you got to go on 20. No. Yeah. You got to go on 20 appointments if you're buying 20% of them to get to four houses. For every five, you're going to close one of them. Yeah. So if that's it, but if you need to get to five, right now, just we're coming back up the funnel. How many appointments do I need to set? Maybe, but if you need to get to, five buys, you may need to, you may, that would be 25 calls, right? But you might have to schedule 30 or 40. Right. Cause you're doing the no show rate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So let's say then you got to do 30 appointments and, and then. And then how many calls do you have to have in order to get somebody to schedule an appointment with you? Oh man, I didn't right. know we were talking about math today, right. Robert. <laughs> Sorry. But, no. But you know, so it might be a hundred. You now know, let's say you're good enough that you could, and I don't even, really don't know if that's the right number, but let's say out of every hundred calls that you have, have with somebody that wants to sell that nearly 50% of the time you can get them to commit to a appointment with you, right? So that's a hundred. That's so now you know what you got to do, right? You got to generate a hundred new leads a month in order to make that. So what you're talking about is commonly referred to as KPIs, right? All these conversion percent, right? Key performance indicators. That's right. Because what you're doing is you're just working backwards to the solution, right? And then the next thing would be, well, if I don't have the money to advertise, right? So people in your shoes and running a large company, when you want to generate a hundred extra leads, you then go look at what can I send an email blast? Can I buy an ad in a newspaper or whatever? So the average person, if they don't have like, so, so many people, they get, well, I don't have the money to advertise. Okay. Well, you have time and time is just as valuable as currency and cold call, right? Get all over these Facebook groups and look for people that are posting their emails that they want to buy houses and contact them and see if they have any extra deals. I mean, and there's so many different ways. I mean, this is like, you know, one of the interesting things that I learned along the way too is the concept of bird dogging. Guys that just literally will drive up and down the street. Of, for dollars, right. Bird dogging, yeah. Exactly. And they, they know when you get good at it, again, you just start, you get good at it by going up, knocking on a door. You and I should have knocked on that, uh, dilapidated house's door when we drove that neighborhood earlier. Exactly. And yeah. that's, you know, cause I was full. Things, again, if you've got the time and not the money, you typically know what area of town you're interested in buying, where you can afford, you know, what the prices are. So you've got some geographic designation 
segmentation or segmentation to what you're trying to do there. And so it doesn't, yeah, it's probably more efficient if you got the money and you can buy a list and drop direct mail, which is really still one, I think one of the most efficient ways to find people. And the craziest thing about direct mail in this business or in the house buying business is if you use a trackable 800 number, I've heard stories of people who have received a phone call years later from, they haven't mailed that neighborhood in years and somebody kept the letter because they knew someday they were going to need to sell the house. We bought a house in Allen this weekend. They've been hanging on to the car for two years. So we're going to take a quick break, come back. I'm going to ask Robert to tell you three or four things that any business person should do this week if they want more business. I think it all starts with marketing. And then we're going to let him tell you a little bit about Patch of Land. Start collecting more leads in minutes. Not only do I use HubSpot's free CRM, but I also use their free marketing tools. Start turning visitors into leads today. Sign up for free at HubSpot.com slash TH. With HubSpot Marketing Free, you'll have everything you need to convert more visitors into leads. Sign up for free today and it's free forever. Sets up in seconds and works with any website. With HubSpot Marketing, you can capture every qualified lead, see who leads are and what they're doing, and analyze and improve your conversions. Get HubSpot Marketing Free for forms, analytics, pop-ups and email integration for your site. No contract or credit card required. It's a risk-free way to see what inbound marketing can do for you. Start turning visitors into leads today. Sign up for free at HubSpot.com slash TH. All right, we're back with my buddy Robert. Robert, let's imagine that Jeremiah, the Bobcat guy, is here in front of you today. Tell him three, four, five, six things. Like, here's what I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Right? So I'm asking you a blind question. This is not a setup question. Robert didn't like tell me to ask this. This is like a, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting him on the spot. There's no leading the witness. No, there's not. So I'm talking about maybe get a get a CRM or an Excel spreadsheet going, right? Something cheap and easy and simple. Create a Facebook page or a Google Place. I mean, why won't you take? I'm, I'm, just, I'm telling you something. Get on Google. You know, write down the last five customers you've had and try to find a couple things. Walk. Just say a couple things that you think anyone should do that would kind of what you would do if you're in a corporate meeting. They say you better do ten million dollars more in loans. You got to start somewhere, right? So. I mean, like, what would you tell Jeremiah the Bobcat guy to do this week to start getting more consistent business? Yeah, I mean, it, and not knowing Jeremiah, but I would say one of the first things he should be cognizant of is answer your phone. And if not, have a professional voicemail. <laughs> right. But I, just, I even there's just no reason, I mean, to not answer your phone. And he should transfer it to his cell if he's not at the desk. But tr- be accessible, especially in a business where time is a very precious commodity. Like if you don't answer the phone and I don't have a conversation with you very soon, I'm moving on. When people do a Google search for businesses like the one I'm in, if we're not able to take the call and answer questions and start the engagement at the time they reach out, they're going to go to the very next company on the list and we're going to lose that opportunity. So I can't stress the importance of just answering your phone and being accessible. Back to the website thing, you know, so some people say, why do I need a website? And my answer is the, the only reason you need a website is so you can have a web form. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, fill out a form, right? So, and there should be multiple forms. You know? Because you said answer your phone, but some people don't want to use a phone. Exactly. Some people, yeah, like you to call them, right? And even so, it's you know back to back to you were making mention of these services that now allow you to complete a web form and then. Upon submission of that form, it'll serve you with another form that says, hey, take a minute and just put yourself on my calendar right now. And you can, through Calendar or one of these other apps, just pick a time it'll, and get right on the calendar. Or even, frankly, if you want to just connect by phone, you can do it right online. You just say, connect with me. The Apple, they'd call the number you just put on the form and they'll call me and we'll connect the two. But even if that's out of budget, if that's out of budget... 
start with a web page. One page. Put a picture of Jeremiah's Bobcat and put, we do all kinds of work, and then call me here or fill out the form below. You use a free Google form if that's where you're at in your budget. And then find ways to maybe add to it. I mean, because what happens is, and this is where people make big mistakes as entrepreneurs. They go spend tens of thousands of dollars in a mastermind hearing about ideas that they don't have the budget to execute. And they start to feel like less than. Find as much free stuff. Like if you don't have, if you want to go ahead and get a HubSpot account, get that. You want to use Google Forms and the Google Sheets, those are free. You know, I mean, I think if you heard Robert say a website and you're thinking, I got to have a logo created and I got to hire someone to do, no, just start with the free GoDaddy website builder and just put one page up there. Absolutely. And it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're, it does make sense. I mean, some people talk about search engine marketing and search engine optimization. So one is referred typically as SEM and the other is SEO. SEO, and I like to think of that, those are free leads, right? You don't, you're not paying Google for those leads. People are organically searching the internet and they're finding you. If you don't have a website that has some keywords on it, that's built in a way that people searching the internet might be able to find you, right? That doesn't cost you anything per lead, but it does cost you to set it up. There's a cost of doing that in an intelligent way from the front end. And so if you're not able to spend the time and energy to figure out how to do it yourself, it probably does make sense. There's a lot of people that do this sort of thing. There's a lot of people that are good at it. It probably makes sense to find somebody that can help you get started because if somebody wants to look you up and try to find you on the internet, it's best to be able to be found, right? Absolutely. That's my advice. Right. But don't let the long-term desire stop you from doing it today. And I think you said this in a previous podcast I heard you talk. Just start somewhere. Don't. It doesn't have to let perfect be the enemy of good or whatever that expression is. Just get started. Do the best you can. Put a little bit of time into it every day, every week. It'll get better over time. Once you start seeing results, that's the other thing. That's I've learned this about all sorts of entrepreneurs. Once you see that something's working, right, you figure out how to do more of that. And everybody else that's that you interact with is interested to learn what are you doing that's working and that's the people copy the people that are finding ways of doing things successfully really quickly all right so we're gonna get a web page we're gonna answer our phone and I think to back to your CRM comment, whether it's whether uh, a free HubSpot account, keep track of them. It's, it could be an Excel spreadsheet, but if you're going to collect leads, right, quantify them, know how many leads you've got, and then do yourself a favor, follow up with the leads, make sure you know, track it. Did I, have I followed, here's 13 people that I've come in to my sphere, right? And I still yet to talk to them. So I would tell Jeremiah, go get a free MailChimp email database because it's free to like 2,000 contacts. Go Google free real estate investor meeting. There's like 10 a week in Dallas right now. Go around picking up business cards, plug them in and start prospecting. And that's something that's only going to cost them their time and the gas to and from. Yep. And everybody you meet becomes a prospect. You put them in, you know, you start getting a call back. They move up the level as soon as somebody calls you back. And then you, you set up simple email templates, right? You just a series of three, a series of five, send a monthly little, what some people call monthly newsletters. And that term is probably not even really that relevant anymore because they don't look like newsletters. They're just monthly pieces of communication that, but again, this is, if you understand what your customer's interested in, what they might, this is what commonly referred to as content marketing, right? So find out what they're interested in. What types of things might they see in your monthly newsletter that can help them, that could be informative, that would be 
something that they might click on and open up and redirect to your blog so that you're providing value for them. And that really becomes the key because people want to do business with people who are obviously providing value. And it's such a simple concept, but if you're in business, no matter what you're in business to do, you probably have some unique perspective on what your customers need to know or ought to know or be able to help them learn that will help them make a better decision, whether they hire you or not. So we're almost out of time. Tell us a little bit about Patch of Land. Sure. So Patch of Land is a private money lender. We're lending in 44 states around the country. We Our traditional product is a fix and flip loan. Most of the time it's a fix and flip for a residential property, although we do some commercial properties as well. And uh, we also do the rehab. So we'll offer the construction construction budget as part of the loan. We'll typically do 80, 85% of the acquisition price and up to 100% of the rehab budget. But we're also doing some ground up work, some loans for ground up construction. We'll do some small balance commercial and we've just introduced a, a new long-term rental product. And if I'm listening to this and I need a loan, how do I get in touch with Patch? Patchaland.com. Simple enough. There's a big button on the front page of the website. One <laughs> says borrow, one says invest. We are a little bit interesting, a different kind of a, a lender in that we also take some of our loans and allow accredited investors to buy a fractional share of some of our loans. So it's not only a site where borrowers can come and get a loan, but investors can come and participate in lending to those borrowers. Robert, I'm glad you drove out to Rockwall, Texas to sit down with me today. Pleasure to be with you. All right. So that's Robert Greenberg, patchofland.com. Check it out. Get in touch with them. Tell them you heard them on the Business and Barbecue podcast. We're out of time today. No barbecue talk. We'll see you next week. I'm bummed we didn't talk barbecue. I know, I know, I know. It's I think, though, people want to know how to do better. And I think if we can help people do better in their business, then they have more time for barbecue. Totally agree. So I only have so much of your time and so much of their time. So no barbecue today. We'll see you next week. Until next time, keep cooking. Thanks for listening to the Business and Barbecue Podcast. Make sure you check out our other episodes and stop by timherridge.com to say hi. We want to hear from you. Until next time, keep, keep cooking. cooking.